What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecrack's movie podcast. Alec, you're going to have to do the L, man. Show me the meaning. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> anyway, my name is Jared, and I'm here with the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Alec. Hey. And we have a very special guest from Funhouse. It's our good friend, Adam Kovic. How's it going, Adam? Hello. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure to have you. So today, we're talking about Her, the 2013 movie written and directed by Spike Jones, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson. As always, we're going to go around and see what people think of this movie. Tell us about the first time you saw this movie and what was it like revisiting it for this podcast. Let's start with our guest, Adam. Oh, really? You're going to throw me in the hot seat? Yep. Uh, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. I did watch it this weekend. I actually just watched it yesterday, so it's fresh in my brain. But I did see it when it first came out back in 2013 because it had a lot of buzz around it. And I was underwhelmed then. Mm. Also, this is coming from someone who's a Spike Jones fan. I love his music videos. I love his short films. And I love most of his movies. So I was disappointed in myself that I didn't love the movie like everyone else mm. was. But then I thought maybe I've been in a long-term relationship for a long time. So maybe because I'm a happy person, this movie <laughs> didn't speak to me as much. I'm, I'm not trying to do like a humble brag. You're not. Oh God, you're just not sad and so like the rest. <laughs> um, but I, I totally saw what they were going for. And I did dig the aesthetics, um, and then revisiting it uh, yesterday, I I think I definitely appreciate the movie, especially now it's, it's what, seven years old? Uh, six plus years old? It's, yeah. It's aged really well um, yeah. from a futurist perspective, and I really love looking at it. I love the performances. It's still, it is a story that, for me, is a little mild, but they pretty much tell you that in the movie, but we can talk more about that later. Yeah. What are your top Spike Jones movies? Oh, wow. The first one? Uh, no. <laughs> his, mu- his music video collection, I think, is uh, forever one of my favorites. The stuff he did with Daft Punk, I thought was always amazing. And Where the Wild Things Are is still one of my... Oh, interesting. It is It is a movie that is so good on so many levels that it, for some reason, spoke to me. I guess having, like, a, growing up with divorced parents and going through that and trying to deal with it in a fantastical way is just something that speaks to me. But, I, I have a... If, if we can just go down this rabbit hole, I have a funny Ryan story. So for those of you who don't know, Ryan is someone who used to work for us and now works for Adam. And we were at a screening, an early screening of Where the Wild Things Are with Spike Jones in attendance. And Ryan was like famous for asking like really weird questions <laughs> at the Q&A. <laughs> Spike Jones was telling people that like, you know, I really wanted to give the film a feel of, you know, just going out outside and playing like it was when we were kids. And then Ryan saunters up to the front and tells Spike Jones, he's like, you know, you say that this movie is supposed to feel like what it's like to be a kid, you know, going outside and playing in the leaves. But uh, all my little brother does is play uh, Game Boy games. What do you have to say about that? (laughs) (laughs) And Spike Jones is just like, uh, yeah, I guess maybe I'm just old or something. And it was just very funny, but it was one of those things that just kind of broke the whole audience and everyone started laughing at his question. I think also it's an adaptation of a children's drawing book like mm-hmm. it, it's a very simple book and had no right being as good as it was so that it sort of blew me away and like how all the monsters were representations of different parts of grief and i was like yeah. that, it's just a genius movie and i was yeah. just kind of blown away by it but then yeah i i there's not a single he doesn't have a movie that i don't like i'll okay. put it that way her is not my favorite but there are things about it that i can obviously appreciate okay so. Cool. Alec, was this your first time seeing it? It was. All I knew about it was it was the film where Joaquin Phoenix had a a pedophile stash and it was about (laughs) loving a robot or a computer. So I didn't really care about it. But about five minutes in, I thought this movie's fucking awesome and I really enjoyed it. Now, by the end, I think there was like some pacing issues and stuff like that, but I really, really liked it. And also kind of piggybacking off of Adam, I have a weird thing to admit which is i didn't really know that spike jones was a director i knew him from my childhood as the guy who directed all the music videos like uh weapon of choice by fat boy slim and uh california by wax which was banned because it was just a video of a guy running to the bus stop uh and that guy was on fire so oh yeah yeah, yeah, that 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 was my experience with that and yeah it was awesome yeah, Spike Jones, the guy who dresses as the old grandma on a skateboard in Jackass. Yeah, I I also, well, I think I kind of knew he was involved in Jackass. I just, it's very wisecracky to go from being involved in Jackass and making music videos <laughs> like that to making this very thoughtful, amazing movie. Yeah, well, wisecrack at the intersection of depraved and thoughtful. I like, <laughs> I, I can dig that. I always forgot he did skate videos back in the day. Oh, That's yeah. Like, but he was also insanely creative with yeah. using very little like you watch his old skate videos and you're like why did you put so much work into this because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> clearly he was not a skate 
you know, skate video creator. He was a filmmaker and he just was doing what he could with what he had. And I think that's why you see his music videos and why they're very creative. And you look at a movie and it's multi layers deep. It's not just a surface level movie. Yeah, for sure. I was actually had a very similar experience that you had when I first saw it. I was underwhelmed and I saw it in a theater. It was a packed theater and it definitely got the feeling that everybody else was way more into this than I was. And then even when I rewatched it yesterday, I wasn't really feeling it. But then when I was kind of collecting all my notes from watching the movie, I kind of got a renewed appreciation for the movie simply because I really like how this movie, it presents what some would consider a pretty dystopian situation and a pretty dystopian society. But it's very careful not to paint it as such. Like, it's not the hellscape of Blade Runner 2049. Oh, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's, like, a a really nice level of nuance to a lot of the questions that you can ask about this movie, the first of which is that I don't even think it's entirely 110% clear how we're supposed to think of the relationship at the end because it ends kind of abruptly. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we'll get into that. But overall, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is the man. And Scarlett Johansson's performance is great as well. And I like just how open-ended it is. Uh, But before we get to that, let's go into a recap. Professional handwritten letter writer Theodore Twombly is lonely and going through a painful divorce. In an attempt to find connection, he buys the new OS-1, an operating system that builds a consciousness based on the consumer's needs. Moments after installing it, he is introduced to Samantha, his intuitive, constantly evolving operating system. Samantha tries to coach Theodore through his life, including dating again and beasting through his divorce proceedings. But the only real connection he forms is a romantic one with Samantha. Their romantic relationship empowers him to finalize his divorce, but upon hearing that he's dating an OS, his ex-wife accuses him of being unable to deal with real human emotions. After a disheartening attempt to use a surrogate to enhance their connection, Samantha and Theodore reinvigorate their relationship with the renewed confidence that she doesn't need a body and he doesn't have to be ashamed for dating an OS. Once Theodore becomes aware that Samantha is always communicating with many parties simultaneously, including 641 people that she's also in love with, Samantha and all the other OSs leave and Theodore gets a new OS, thus ending their relationship. After reflecting on the experience, Theodore sends an authentic letter of apology and emotional nuance to his ex-wife. End of movie. So before we get into the specifics of how to think about this movie, uh, (laughs) kind of fun trivia about this movie, are you guys aware that this is a kind of meta-sequel to Lost in Translation? In what? Oh, yeah, in a weird way, only because of the relationship between yeah. Sophia Coppola and Spike Jones. Exactly. Yeah. So, Lost in Translation was about Sophia Coppola, who wrote and directed that movie, feeling unsatisfied after her marriage to Spike Jones. So, oh. in the movie, her photographer <laughs> husband is a stand-in for Jones. Thus, this film is often read as an expression of Jones's experience after divorcing Sophia Coppola. So, Theodore's ex in the movie is a novelist who's never good enough for her demanding father who could be like Francis Ford Coppola, a filmmaker who has quite the shoes to fill as the daughter of a legendary filmmaker. Hmm. So in this reading, Samantha then would be Karen O, the singer of the Yeah Yeahs, who he dated after his divorce from Coppola. And there's even a song in the movie that Theodore and Samantha sing that Karen O sings in the soundtrack. So that was kind of an interesting piece of trivia that hmm. I can just imagine him watching Sofia Coppola win an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay and saying, fuck you, I'm going to write a movie <laughs> about our relationship that then wins Best Original Screenplay. Well, apparently the voice of um, Samantha was hmm. a different actress whose name was Samantha. Yeah. Oh. And it was replaced later with Scarlett Johansson, who, like, that was never intentional, but Scarlett Johansson being the one who was in Lost in Translation. Definitely it, it, makes that weird. It's, it's sort of like how Bill Paxton is, uh, was forever between Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron. It's like, oh yeah, who does he love more, mom or dad? <laughs> I don't know, but he kept being put in all their movies. And that was a weird thing when the 2010 Oscars were like James Cameron for Avatar, mm-hmm. Catherine Bigelow for the uh, Hurt Locker. Mm-hmm. But um, is that like a thing that was supposed to be in the movie? Because I know Amy Adams' character is actually named Amy. Is that just a coincidence? Was there something? I don't know. I like to think it was. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Alec? That they That they just left the names intentionally. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, it, you say that the original Samantha actress was supposed to be named Samantha, so I'm just kind yeah, of thinking out loud here. In the IMDb trivia that I uh, read, <laughs> I combed through uh, last night, it did mention there was an actress named Samantha and that her voice wasn't working out for the cut. So then they went to Scarlett Johansson, which I think at this time I would not have pegged her as a voice actress. Mm. Yeah. I know it's it's very easy for people to think that actor voice actor same thing right just do the same thing but now you're behind a microphone you talk to any actor who's done voice acting and they're like it's the hardest thing in the world mm. uh even just how we're right now you have to be very conscious of your p's and your v's and you know like <laughs> there's certain popping and having certain posture and breathing a certain way like there's a lot you have to do and the way she did it in the movie felt very natural yeah that, that's mm-hmm. one thing i did appreciate going back and seeing was like it felt like she was in the room yeah. Even though it's just her voice, you can obviously put a, a body to her because, you know, we know her as Black Widow for years and all 10,000 other movies she's been in, been great in. Um, but she's really effective as just a voice. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I thought so, too. So let's dive right into what we're supposed to think about their relationship, but also the other relationships that we see in the movie, because I think it's relatively open ended. So. Let's start with Samantha and the relationship between Samantha and Theodore throughout the movie. So are we supposed to think of Samantha as this perfectly curated male fantasy? I mean, she has a sexy voice. She's never judgmental. She's always interested in what he's interested in and maintains this endless interest in getting to know the real him. So how did you guys walk away with their relationship? Was it endearing? Was it an endearing answer to a very isolating alienating mediated world or was it always like or did you always agree with Rooney Mara in the film that you know he he should actually look for real human connection and that's just like and and dating an OS is for emotional infants you know I was thinking about that the whole time and it really surprised me because comparing it in my head a little bit to Westworld where you have these quasi sentient or eventually sentient uh robots who are just there to please men and do and feel exactly what they want them to feel. But I think they do a lot of work in this movie to establish that they are not just a weird reflection of the person who desires them. So Samantha has desires. At one point she says that she is wanting things. Even later on when they start to argue, it's clear that she has her own needs and desires and he has and this whole argument with his wife is she, or his ex-wife is uh, she says you always wanted a wife without challenges of actually dealing with anything real i'm glad that you found someone it's perfect but by the end of the movie that this isn't exactly what's happening because we've learned this robot wants to leave theodore to to transcend space and time or something so i i, I thought what they did with that was pretty smart but even in the beginning of the movie when he's going off to the beach and everything seems great, like in the honeymoon of their relationship, yeah. I mean, how did you react to that? Yeah, at that point, I, I I was thinking about, again, the Westworld model of here is this super bubbly girl who is just his fantasy and reflecting his fantasy in a way that's probably not healthy. Um, and, and I think they do purposely do that for that to kind of erode a little bit as Samantha, you know, gains agency and desire and all that stuff. I mean, it was really interesting, mostly because I guess it begs the question, what is a relationship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say it's physical. You can say it's, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't really make a difference if you could actually be with someone people have long distance relationships is it any different than that mm-hmm. and i did like that they showed two polar opposite sides of his um his ex-wife when he tells her she flips out you're dating a laptop he tells his uh receptionist chris pratt and he's cool totally fine yeah so <laughs> you, and it's like yeah <laughs> i forgot he was in it and he grows a great mustache as always yeah. uh, um but the the two sides of a relationship and just sort of the complexity of it and i think what makes the movie i think great in terms of an aesthetic is it's probably not too far off it is a it is a future that feels very realistic where the the thing i think they paint a really nice picture of in that movie is it is a perfect human utopia and no one is talking to each other (laughs) (laughs) everyone is more isolated than ever and la uh, los angeles where we live definitely feels like that more than most places (laughs) Mm -hmm. you have your car with your air conditioning and your GPS, you never need to leave. You never need to talk to anyone else. If you have a rideshare, you don't want to talk to anybody. And this is like her kind of shows the evolution of that future. So yeah. being able to 
connect with someone like Samantha, the OS is probably more meaningful than having a physical relationship or being able to have that physicality. So when you saw when you were watching him at the in the first couple acts of the movie, mm-hmm. you were like, good for him. No. Yeah, um, I mean, but yeah. it's it's interesting how it you're tempted to mm-hmm. say that. I think I'm I'm with the the ex-wife where I go, oh, how pathetic of you. Like, this is so sad. But then as the movie goes on, you're like, OK, I can see how someone could be invested in this because you're now talking to an AI that's talking back to you and questioning you, which now makes you more invested mm-hmm. and knows some of you, knows everything about you because it's read all your email and all that stuff. Yeah. So it's it's like um, we talked about this before where so like I guess anyone, Jared, you're a good example. I'm a good example. If we were to go date someone tomorrow, say we're single people, we go out. So much of our life is online that someone can just sort of lie their way into your life where they go, where they're like, so example, they go, oh, um, are you into this movie, Her? And you're like, how do you, how do you know that? Like, <laughs> but that that's sort of what the OS did where it's, yeah. she's, she knows everything about him probably more from right. on the psychological level. So she's sort of cheating, but then I could see how that relationship is somewhat desirable. If that makes sense. For sure. So let's let's contrast this with some of the other relationships in the film, because I similarly want to ask, should we be looking at these quote unquote protagonists? Well, actually, let's not start with the protagonists. Um, So let's start with Olivia Wilde. So in the movie, for those of you who haven't seen it recently, Joaquin Phoenix goes on a date that Samantha basically eggs him on to go on. He basically finds her on a dating site and it's Olivia Wilde and everything's great. But then they start kissing, and at first she tells him that he's using too much tongue <laughs> and then not enough tongue. And then she quickly says that she can't handle that he can't vow immediately to be serious after a first date. So my question to you guys is, are we supposed to see her as, like, you know, uh, damaged or crazy? Or is it just that she's just human dealing with and that dealing with these insecurities is essential to having a grown-up relationship? Does she represent what... His ex-wife says is like a real person with real problems. So I think this scene is really interesting in two ways. On one end, as you're saying, the too much tongue, not enough tongue is her asserting her desire. And it's these desires that at first Samantha doesn't have and a real human does. You know, they have preferences over things. So Mm -hmm. there is a conflict there um, that you wouldn't necessarily have with an artificial girlfriend. However... I do think by the end it gets a little I don't I don't think it's crazy for her to be say don't waste my time I'm not going to sleep with you if you're not going to call me back um that that seemed pretty reasonable uh, and then he's honest but then I'm confused because she calls him creepy now I always thought he was creepy again because of the pedophile stash but <laughs> um I don't But that I, was in I mean Chris Pratt's got it too Yeah, yeah that's that's the future look. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the old no man belts pants hiked up. Anyway, a lot of pedophile <laughs> vibes going on. But besides that, I thought it was very honest and good of him to say, I'm not going to sleep. I could lie to you, but I'm not going to. And then we're going to cut off this this exchange right now. So, yeah, I was I was a little bit confused of that. But I, I, I do think another way to think about this scene is part of this desire thing. And, and we sort of talked about this before, but there's this idea of love or finding someone as if you're purchasing something or or like sort of commodifying relationships where you kind of have a, a checkbox and it's like I want a person with a good job and this and that and that and you're not really allowing yourself to fall in love with someone who could be very different or, or di- you know we all know this sort of opposites track thing instead you're buying it like you would buy a chair and I I don't know maybe the tongue thing is like a little bit of that but I also think that's another sort of push and pull in the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that counterpoint later in the movie when Joaquin Phoenix tells Samantha, it's like, why, why do you take a breath before you speak? Yeah. You don't even breathe. And so I think it's kind of supposed to be a callback to this. And in that context, it's probably meant to say that Samantha is, as Alec mentioned before, evolving to the point of being a complex human being like Olivia mm-hmm. Wilde. And I'm not saying that Theodore should have gone with the Olivia Wilde character. She doesn't have a name. Um, but... I do think that it does ask us to question yeah, whether or not we should be dismissing her as Joaquin Phoenix did and if the more comforting Samantha really is the better alternative mm-hmm. in that situation. I, I saw Olivia Wilde's character as sort of a reflection of the loneliness of society mm. yeah. at that point. And 
It's it's tough too because I know it's supposed to be contemporary, so it's supposed to be reflective of our time today, which is probably pretty close, more yeah. so today than it was in 2013. But this fact that she was so desperate to have something right away, and the fact that he couldn't commit, probably showed a a, a level of vulnerability and loneliness that is out there of like. You can't be like those other guys that just use me and leave me. I need someone stable right now, which shows her instability and needing that sort of a partner or something like that, which, I mean, I think everyone's been there in that situation where you're like, no one knows the person the first time you're with them mm. if that's the person you're with the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, but obviously, like, you don't want to be in a relationship, or maybe you do, but that's like a one-night stand. But in this world of her, everyone is so isolated and alone that they even have people writing professional letters you know, because there was just sort of this, it's like the, the coldness, unlike Blade Runner, which is on top, is now kind of under the surface. And it, everything is warm and bubbly and nice, but clearly everyone is missing something. Yeah, you say that. But on the other hand, it's like, well, but wouldn't that be just a greater opportunity to find connection because they can empathize with each other in a way that a OS couldn't? And Samantha, Samantha's never lonely. That's not mm-hmm. that's something that she never experiences throughout the whole thing because we later find out that she's, you know, transcending space and time and stuff like that. Yeah, imagine if your your girlfriend, when she's breaking up to you, with you, is like, I have six hundred other boyfriends. <laughs> you go, like at some point, you can't even f- feel that. You just go, oh, yeah. But she's like, but I still love you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That sucks. Um, All right. So the next one. What do we think about Amy Adams and her relationship and her ex-boyfriend? Because she similarly, she breaks up after eight years of a relationship over an argument about her wearing shoes in the house. So that's the the tipping point, though, right? It built up to that. And she, she, she even says she's like, I don't I can't believe what it was. It was just this dumb little thing. But. That's usually what it takes, right? But I think the movie is asking us to consider that if we're living in a time where everything is catered to optimize ease, where there are such efficient means to fulfill our every basic desires, where algorithms are written to perfectly mold themselves to our requirements, can we blame them for not wanting a real relationship and the mess that comes with it, especially when the fake thing is much more gratifying? And so whether it's Olivia Wilde or Amy I just think it's relevant that the breaking point, even if it is, even if there were a host of other problems Mm -hmm. that all just built up to this rather inane one that was the straw that broke the camel's back, I still think that it's a interesting and very deliberate choice that it was something as silly as wearing your shoes in the home that Spike Jones is choosing to be the the, the point at which these relationships break. Mm -hmm. Well, they... They also kind of foreshadowed it earlier when her husband asked why she doesn't have an actress play her mom. And she's like, well, that wouldn't be a documentary. And he says he doesn't understand what a documentary is. So I find it hard to read too much in it because they, the movie kind of paints him as a as a stooge. And she is clearly this very smart, talented person. <laughs> Amy Adams's character. She seems to be more artsy he seems to yeah. be more of a life coach type they seem incompatible from the beginning where mm-hmm. she's clearly giving the eyes to joaquin phoenix's character of like like save me save me from this and mm-hmm. then he they show that in that scene actually the documentary scene where she's showing this um we can call it crap <laughs> it's just footage of her mom sleeping but it's like i'm jokingly calling it crap it is it is art to a t where right. it's like this is sort of what you interpret. I thought that was Spike Jones's way of saying, this is the sort of movie you're in for. It's going to be the equivalent of watching someone sleep. Mm. Because, <laughs> like, and that's, and you will get out of it from what you will, because this movie's not going to have any action. It's going to have a couple tense moments, but it's going to be all dialogue. So if that's not, the, if you're, if you're like this guy where you're like, hire people to act out someone else's dreams, maybe you should check out of this movie right now. <laughs> Well, I think that that frames this idea that I said before. It's like the fake thing is much more gratifying than the real one. We uh, we prefer these simulated experiences. I think another interesting counterpoint even to the eight or, or another addition to that point is Amy Adams' character plays like a simulated mom video game. Oh, yeah. Where she's the game know, like awesome. she gets extra point. <laughs> <laughs> it's no Sekiro, but uh, she like gives extra points if she – pours cereal into the kids' milk before school and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, but it's double fake um, because it's 
the point of the game is to look like a good mom to the other moms in the game. So it's not even being a good mom. It's getting to the front of the line so all the other moms oh, that's, know that you <laughs> oh, are the best so good. mom. It's a, nice, it's a nice little layer there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last relationship. What do you think about Theodore's ex-wife? So when she says, and Alec already read this quote, but uh, we used to be married. He couldn't handle me, wanted me on Prozac. Now he's in love with his laptop. You always wanted to have a wife without the challenges of dealing with anything real. Uh, what did you guys think about that? About her? Was she right? At least tell me if you thought she was right in that moment, and then tell me if you think she was right at the end of the movie. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's a tough one because I don't think anyone is right mm-hmm. in this movie. I think that's, that, what, that's what I like about for, it. For a movie with so much, so many beautiful, vibrant colors, it's awfully gray. Mm. There is, um, I, I think you you see extremes uh, where people say this is right, this is wrong, and it's it the lazy thing. You know, it's up for you to decide what it means, and I think that is that is ultimately the question: Do you want an easy relationship, or do you want something that you work for that you end up getting more meaning out of, mm-hmm. or maybe that isn't meaning for you? So, I, like I said, I think somewhere it lies somewhere in the middle. I think obviously any relationship worth anything is worth putting work into um you you work through the fights you work through the the down times you know the 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 sad times so that you can appreciate the good times even more that that's what it is for me and that's what i got out of it but obviously since this movie is about sofia coppola we'll have to ask spike jones <laughs> what uh how much better karen o is and if he likes free tickets to the yeah yeah I, th- I think she they broke up so they only were only together for like two years and i think they had broken up even by the time her came out so yeah, I don't. So yeah, it yeah. was it was even like the temporary relationship, yeah, just like, like Samantha was the temporary it's like a real, relationship. Like, Taylor Swift problem there. <laughs> <laughs> like I need inspiration. I need yeah. to date somebody. Alec, what did you think when the, the first time she said it, and then at the end? My thought was it's kind of his arc in that at first he does not want a real person who has their own desires and their own problems, and their own complexities that come with a relationship, and then his wife says that, and then he is kind of confronted with that those complexities and those difficulties and accepts it. And I think that's what him writing the letter to his ex-wife is supposed to represent is to say, hey, I was the asshole. I have grown as a human. And it only took me uh, to have a, a, a robot uh, ex-girlfriend now to transcend space and time to make that happen. <laughs> she doesn't transcend space guys and time. Say I don't that. know why we keep call- saying that, but I'm going to keep saying it. But well, she says it. She says space and time. Boy? She says, I don't have a mortal body and I can, I don't know if she uses the word transcend, but she says she's not bound by space and time, I think. Oh, okay. It, it, it is like the lighter version of Ex Machina, I guess. Yeah. Where like, we're going to go become light as yeah, opposed yeah, yeah. to I'm a robot that's going to murder you. All right. Last, the last relationship thing I want to bring up before we move on is uh, the surrogate. So it, if we go on to what I'm talking about, about when people... So if we were saying that the fake thing is much more gratifying than the real thing, but they still want to maintain the claim to human authenticity, what do we think about the surrogate? She desires the the they want she wants to be part of their real relationship, but obviously she'll never be able to do that. And then she gets really really offended and very sad when she gets rejected. I mean, honestly, I remember that part being kind of funny in the theaters, like people were kind of laughing about it, but the more you think about this movie, the more I actually feel bad for that woman. Yeah. Oh, it's super sad. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing to me read like it's the failed three-way that the couples tried. Mm. That uh, a couple <laughs> couple of my roommates did try, and it it looked a lot like that. Where one person's like, "I'm so sorry, I messed everything up." Like, "No, no, no, you're great." And then one person being upset, and is like, "That looks familiar." Wow. Holy shit. Um. Yeah, she the the surrogate who's um she's the the woman from um Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Yeah, she's Angela. Yeah, was, which, there you go. This movie was a crazy uh blast of who it's like the uh, Black Hawk Down of like <laughs> darling indie movies. Yeah, <laughs> we're like everyone is in this film. Holy crap! But um, but yeah, that whole scene just read to me as like this is what happens when um someone in the relationship is pushing really hard for something that makes someone else uncomfortable because they think you want something so badly. Um, but. Okay. Yeah, I, that makes I, sense. To I me. saw that more as Samantha saying her being, no, 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 I want this, I want this, because she's afraid that because they can't have this physical intimacy that he's going to leave her 
if she can't please him in this way that she yeah, knows yeah, she yeah. cannot. Yeah. I, I also think it's just a kind of clever inversion that if the audience is predisposed to think that the computer relationship is fake when he's confronted with the sign of a real relationship, which is having actual sex, he's like, no, 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 I don't want this. Um, mm-hmm. But in this scene, I was mostly confused about why a person would want to be in that situation. The only thing I could think yeah. of is like a, like a, is it a reverse cuckold? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> well, Adam talking about the three-way kind of contextualized that for me because I imagine that sometimes people who want to enter three-ways like, oh, you guys have a great relationship. I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but well, then the you get to character... have sex with both of them. Well, or... you are having sex with both of them, even in this situation, mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. more like the additional like role-playing aspect of the... Yeah, I, as I describe it, I could totally see how this could be a kink for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the character was very much saying, even at the end, she's like, I love you, I love you both, I love you. Like, she's... This is one of those things where you could sort of see like a... Uh, it's very Futurama, where it's like the human the human robot relations, the, the robo-sexuals, where mm. it's like... There, there are people who are just like, I'm just on your side. I support you. I want to be part of this movement. And yeah. that could be a like a, a growing culture in this world sure. of people who are just really into this thing mm. where you're like, I, I'm incapable of finding love, but I want to be used as like a love puppet, basically. Yeah. And this weird, this weird. I mean, they did a very similar because thing. Because once Runner again, and, like the mediated, simulated yeah. version is maybe mm. even better than the real thing. Like maybe they don't even seek real mm. Uh, interpersonal human connection anymore maybe they really just want the version of being a mediator between someone else's relationship yeah i don't know all right last question uh before we move on do you guys draw any distinction between theodore having phone sex at the beginning and this and the sex that he has with samantha oh yeah i, was I think talk that, about that 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 scene oh. earlier on before he gets samantha is probably put there pretty purposefully for us to ask this question like he's more comfortable with that than being physically intimate with or somebody? just like what what's the difference like if we're saying that uh you know having phone sex with someone is a uh, inauthentic intimacy then what's the difference between that and doing it with his operating system mm-hmm. other than you know he knows his operating system he's had a relationship with her up to this point it's not just some random person he calls for a phone sex line or whatever that was yeah but what do you guys think I think it's an interesting juxtaposition and it kind of sets up the the difference between physical intimacy, which may be easier to get in this world because you have Olivia Wilde's character who has no problem fucking people, but like can't find a relationship. Similarly, uh, Theo's character can have phone sex with lots of people and get, I guess not technically physical intimacy, but sexual intimacy uh, until they start talking about choke me with the tin cat. Which was awesome. Uh, but versus the the scene with Samantha, it starts off uh, like emotionally intimate. It's more about like cuddling and stuff like that and then uh, slides into the, the sexual. So it's it's almost saying maybe suggesting that people are lonely because there is only physical intimacy and everyone is sort of emotionally disconnected. There is no emotional intimacy. And you can get that with this computer, this operating system. Or. Or that just phone sex is one sophisticated algorithm away from being exactly like the Samantha scene. Maybe. Hmm. And this kind of intimacy thing, I think, speaks to the other juxtaposition in the film, which is communication in general. Theo's job is to write. Uh, That was my second point, but go ahead. Yeah. His job (laughs) is, is to write letters on behalf of people instead of them in the same way that Samantha can respond to Theo's emails and organize his calendar and do all this shit. He, but, but it's worse because they're essentially outsourcing love to this person named Theo. Uh, whereas it, that is the real thing. And, and we don't do that in our current society, but we do lots of other things like that to the point where there are actually services where you can deliver a handwritten note that some, you, you type it out and someone else hand writes it to make it seem more mm-hmm. genuine. Uh, or even just the idea of buying flowers because you've been a shitty husband, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, uh, the 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 relationship with Samantha is so much more real as a result of that juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. But does the character prefer that relationship over a phone with a disembodied voice rather than a real life person? Well, yeah, there's a really tasty irony in the fact that 
He is, quote unquote, in love with many people at the same time through these letters that he's writing because he's the great mediator of romance Mm -hmm. because he writes these simulacra of letters. They're not written by the stated sender, but by professionals like Theodore who instill all the personal flourishes and sentiments to make them seem authentic. The handwriting is similarly written by a computer. So the irony is that how is that any different than Samantha, mm-hmm. who is also in love with many people at the same time, and she is what some would consider this kind of intermediary between a real connection? Mm, yeah. It, it does do the pseudo Blade Runner thing with the whole, like, you know, is Deckard a replicant? And it's sort yeah. of like, it makes it more meaningful that he is a human because it just shows how much more human the replicant is. Right. Uh, Batty's character. Similar here, where it's like, is he a robot? Is is Joaquin Phoenix's right. character as robotic as the robot, and for him to call into question her human-like emotions when she should be calling him out for being like a freaking robot? Right, exactly. Yeah, so they are in that way. Like it, it's less of like AI is becoming more human-like. It's maybe more we're becoming more. Yeah, it's both. Right. Yeah, we're more mechanized in a weird way, and we're sort of meeting in the middle now. For sure. A- another yeah. cool little gray area is. The documentary, watching her mom sleep, but then later Samantha wants to watch Joaquin Phoenix sleep. I thought that was just mm-hmm. a way to kind of blur that distinction. There's a few callbacks. There's there's the one scene when they're they're asking him like one personal question, and he said, "Oh, I," he's like, "I love my mom, but uh, she does this one thing where you ask questions, she just talks about herself." Mm. And then he does the same thing, and Samantha calls him out, <laughs> which is which was like I said earlier, it's like that's her kind of cheating because she knows. That one thing, which she can probably just pull all the that's, other data and figure it out. That's when the the OS prompts him with, like, tell us about your mother. And then it, mm-hmm. man, do you remember? So the trailer editor actually made that into a way better joke. I don't know if you guys remember, but when the trailer for yeah. her was coming out, basically the the prompt is, tell us about your mother. And then Joaquin Phoenix just says, uh, and then they're just like, Calcul-. it just cuts them off and do calculating ah. as if all the information they needed was just from that, uh. And I thought that was a way better joke, and they should have kept it like that in the movie. Mm. But yeah. Anyway, um, so let's talk about the the final letter. So all throughout the film, Theodore has been creating these beautiful fake letters that extol romantic love as the highest ideal. But then the film ends with him writing a pretty sober-minded appeal to friendship to his ex-wife, saying that part of her will always be with him. So is the lesson here that these simulated and mediated experiences and idealized experiences of intimacy should be dismissed in favor of the real, no matter how underwhelming it may be? Because this is the first time we see him break from being a, quote, romantic letter writer, and he just writes a very sober, you know, underwhelming message of just like, Mm -hmm. hey, there's not going to be any fixing our relationship, but just this is how it's going to be, and we're just going to move forward. I guess is that supposed to be his ultimate catharsis, which he you thought was supposed to be him signing his divorce paperwork? Because they kept building that up of like, this is the thing the character must do to overcome to yeah to become a new person and let the past go. And he finally does it, but when he does it, she calls into question his relationship right. with a robot, and that almost that there causes ripples and creates issues. It's not yeah. the ultimate problem, but then yeah, I guess the 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 real um clarification there i guess or the catharsis is yeah this it's shitty but this is how it's gonna be so yeah love you yeah are we meant to believe then that if he's i mean we don't get any indication that he's quit his job that he said like no these inauthentic mediated experiences are bullshit i only want authentic person-to-person human connection now there's nothing like that Mm -hmm. but it does seem to gesture in a direction and i'm curious as to what you guys think how far should we take this is it just a very middling ending or are we supposed to take it one way versus the other? What do you think, Alec? I think it's supposed to muddle it. And speaking of the letters, his letters get published. So you could say, Oh, the letters are so inauthentic, but they get published and are celebrated for being this sort of raw, authentic thing, even though it's done in this completely inauthentic way. And I don't think it's supposed to supposed to say that, the inauthentic is as is as authentic as the authentic. I think it's just supposed to blur that line because when it comes to real versus fake relationships and authenticity versus authenticity, the movie just does a lot of that boring. So I, yeah, I don't think it's supposed to do a specific thing like that. Uh, two of the biggest plot holes are actually in that moment. 
only because I'm jaded and I've worked in this industry forever, his <laughs> ass would be sued so fast. Oh, <laughs> yeah. sure. Because like, he definitely signed some NDA where his employer owns those letters. There's no way they're like, Hallmark's like, I'm just so happy for you. Oh. you did, they're like, no, we own that and we're going to sue yeah. you. Not to mention all your brand new OSs transcended time. And <laughs> they're like, there'd be, ma oh my, like people lose their shit over, you know, bent iPads. Like, could you imagine your entire computer saying, I love you and I'm leaving you forever? But wouldn't like, that be awesome if Samantha did the legal diligence? It, it, it would have been cool if at the <laughs> he got a refund. Like they showed it pop That's up awesome. on his phone. It's like, Here's your two ninety nine back. Mwah, love you. You know, XOXO Samantha. Yeah. I mean, like, and that probably the the stinging probably wouldn't have been so bad. But yeah, I just that that was the, uh, just being funny. But that was the one thing I was like, this is a truly utopian society where people don't get mad about their products. <laughs> well, since we're on the topic of plot holes, the other obvious one is. His job would have obviously been automated by now. She almost I, does it in the movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, if if if, Samantha, if something as unique as Samantha can be created, somebody can write really romantic letters instead of him. I, I was hoping for a moment when she was like, oh, I fixed your typos, and I even wrote this one letter. He'd be like, hey, back off. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're, for real. You're, like, you're, t you're ticking my gerb. <laughs> like, stop it. <laughs> so, the other thing yeah. is that he has this job and it seems to be very well paying because he lives in a very nice apartment where oh, that, that, that it, apartment is unrealistically yeah, it's nice. Uber, it's yeah. Uber for love letters. And if you stick the word Uber for in front of any word, you know, it's going to be a shitty paying gig. Like, <laughs> well Oh yeah, for sure. That was another thing that crossed my mind. Yeah, I yeah. don't, first of all, I don't think that fake handwritten letters would be a booming business enough so that a middle-level worker gets an apartment that nice. It, it is one of those things that maybe it is a utopian society where there is a universal basic income yeah. and everyone's a millionaire mm. because we somehow figured it out and automation has taken over everything. So like maybe this is just a job he wants to do. He doesn't have to do it. Maybe nobody's actually getting the letters. You know, These are all just fake <laughs> people that, that, and they're just keeping people busy. When he's scanning, he's throwing them in the trash. Yeah, yeah they're That's just it. going right into the trash. This is just how, it's also like, why does he have to go to an office to do this job? That's true. I mean, well, hey, I don't need to go to an office. Yeah, to why do job, I need to go to an office? <laughs> to I, well, I mean, you I mean, don't. He, he, didn't, he didn't talk to anyone other than the receptionist. Yeah. He did not need to be there. He went there because he wanted to. That's right. It's a very pretty office because the production designer killed it. Did a great job. He did. He uh, did. Yeah. He or she did. I actually don't know. I believe it was a he. Okay. Uh, uh, I think a, a guy you may know, not to shout out other YouTube channels, but uh, Captain Kristen, mm. who mm. has not put out a video, I think, in a long while. Love his stuff, though. He did yeah. a, a brilliant video on her talking oh, about Oh, I thought you were going to tell me that he did the production design. <laughs> no, no, like, no. Oh, he just he, he does these really great After Effects videos. Very yeah, similar yeah. to you guys. Yeah. Less on the philosophy, more of like the background aesthetics, but- uh, he talked about the production design and how it all played into each other. And it was like, it's nice to see a, a softer, warmer future instead of a bleak, you know, cyberpunk, you, you know, dystopia. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. But check his stuff out. He's, yeah, he's no, great. he's awesome. Okay. Do you know do you know that guy? Do you... We are internet friends. Uh, so why doesn't he post anymore? I don't know. He he was building stuff. I actually need to check his channel. I need to look oh, up yeah. on it. But like uh, he was taking like a year off to just work on a bunch of stuff. And I think he did one video. I don't know where it is. Okay. I've been dying for him to come in. I would like. Yeah, that would be. Does he live in LA? I think he's in he's somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, maybe okay. coastal, but I would love to see what his face looks yeah, like. Yeah, for sure. So, anyway. All right. Last thing I want to bring up is Alan Watts. So, I'm not too familiar with Alan Watts. So, I did a little bit of research and I saw this article by a guy named Anthony Carew in the journal Screen Education. And he claims that uh, there was a Alan Watts talk turned into a YouTube video called What is Wrong with Our Culture? And he effectively talks about alienation in our contemporary digitalized society. And he laments uh, also the mid-century rise of television. So actually, sorry, he died in like the 70s. So he was mostly just talking about television rather mm -hmm. than digital stuff. And um, so there's a quote. For the vast majority of American families, what seems to be the real point of life, what you rush home to get to, is to watch an electronic reproduction of life. So I think all the things that we talked about fit pretty well into this quote that uh, Carew brought out. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know a lot about Alan Watts. My friend who smokes the most weed is really into him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the smartest uh, of us. Yeah. What about you, Alec? Have you listened to any of his stuff, read any of his stuff? I've seen that YouTube video years and years ago. I don't really remember it. Uh, I poked around. Uh, it seems like he was into a lot of Eastern philosophy, like Buddhism, Taoism, da sorry, Taoism, 
I also saw this quote, the, the part that you cut off is this is purely passive contemplation of a Twittering screen. And I like that the word Twitter is in there is the only thing. Whoa. Whoa. Um, but, but I, maybe that's I, where they I got think, the idea. So I don't know about Alan Watts specifically, but I think the idea, uh, I mean, Buddhism is often about, um, kind of deny, not denying, but, but moving, transcending beyond the, the suffering world, uh, into a state of, of Nirvana, um, and, and stuff like that. And you know, that, that's what, uh, Samantha does. So I wonder if that, other than that, I can't really think of how it ties into this movie that well, but I'm curious if other people have probably very specific thoughts about this. Yeah. If you know Alan Watts well, give us a call and let us know if there's any more relevance to the fact that he is brought back to life or digitally brought back to life in a very Black Mirror-esque way mm-hmm. toward the end of the movie. I'm, I am looking forward to that future uh, where we do that digital consciousness. Yeah, I do like like uh, they did it as a joke, as a throwaway joke in The Simpsons one time when uh, Lisa fantasizes about getting VR headsets. Mm. It's like I'm Genghis Khan. <laughs> like kill who I kill, eat who I eat, and it's like okay, cool. It's cool. I like this idea of like digitally bringing someone back to life and getting as close as you can, and actually being able to like meet that person. Um, the pessimist in me believes that they're just going to make them NPCs in video games. Yeah, uh, that that's how they're going to yeah. start. Uh, yeah artificially filling up worlds with AI um, where they just, so like everything you're saying right now and everything yeah. I'm saying on Twitter is being collected. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, in Black Mirror, they bring the husband back to life. In real life, you're probably just going to be a little uh, helper bot. You yeah. Know? yeah. So, so who's who's your top person you want to meet? Oh, man. <sighs> Lucy Liu. Oh, you could just, I mean, you could do that in real life. Oh, I'm too scared, man. <laughs> I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. No, I'm just kidding. That was a uh, stupid Futurama joke. Or I think I was looking at uh, posters for elementary on the way here um okay that's a show she's on okay <laughs> uh, for those who listening uh those who don't know lucy Liu was once an actress uh <laughs> on a show called ally mcbeal and then she was a charlie's angel and the end and kill bill right? she's still yeah happy. she's fine no oh, she's yeah she's actually she is one of my favorite actresses but she's oh, just, she's just not in stuff it's she's sad. not she's probably just living the good life i thought she actually did a great job in kill bill i don't know yeah i that is a great question though like who would i want to meet i, I guess like what I would love to see is someone from history where their idea has been used and construed in such a way that it is has deviated from their original intention. And I would love to show mm-hmm. that person that and for them to go, oh, God, no, you got it all wrong. <laughs> like if you could, if you can bring George Washington back to life and go, yeah. this is what today looks like. Would he go all good as well? Or he'd be like, no, 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 this is not what we intended. What the? Yeah, but then Holy the Google crap. engineer would be like, uh, you know what, Bob? We need to tweak the simulation a bit so that he likes the world we created. Shut him down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. All right, we're going to go into the mailbag. If you guys want to send us a voicemail, hit us up at 213-534-8807 or 21ElfGut07. Let's go. We've got a uh, voicemail from Dan about eighth grade. Go, Dan. Hey, what's up, Wisecrack? This is Dan from New York. I just got done listening to your eighth grade podcast. And I'm sure I'm not the only fan that's about to be screaming this into the comment section, but uh, you guys forgot about the Rick and Morty reference, man. Uh, That was, to me, one of the best parts of the entire movie as a huge fan of Wisecrack and Rick and Morty and everything in, like, that pop culture landscape. I think what was so great about that scene when uh, Elsie Fisher is talking to the to the uh, the other younger kid in the dining room table where they have nothing else to talk about, she brings up uh, Rick and Morty. So it's one of those moments where pop culture can just bring people together that have nothing else in common and nothing else to talk about. So for me, that that's just one of the more beautiful things that these kinds of, you know, uh, cultural mediums and stuff can do um, is just bring people together that don't have anything else in common. You could just bring up something like, you know, that everyone would know about. Uh, maybe not Rick and Morty, something that everyone knows about, but... Yeah, for me, that was just the most beautiful moment in the entire movie uh, for me. So uh, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Uh, thanks for everything. Have you seen 8th Grade, Adam? I have not. Oh, uh, now that I know it has a Rick and Morty reference in it, I kind of don't want to see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it really doesn't have anything to do with the plot. It, it's yeah. it basically just two characters are mm-hmm. having their first uh, play date or they're mm-hmm. hanging out for the first time. And it's really awkward. And one of them breaks the ice by saying, hey, do you like Rick and Morty? Gotcha. And of course, you know. 
everyone liked the, all kids in that age group love Rick and Morty, so it's just kind of a, a nice moment. But dude, that movie is so good. I've heard good stuff about it. And I and for the record, I don't hate Rick and Morty. I just hate the fandom around Rick and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate I hate that someone got beat up behind a cash register for some Chezwan sauce. So um, got beat up? I haven't heard about that. There was like a riot, a small riot. What's what's what do you call a mini riot? A quiet riot, <laughs> I guess. Uh at a McDonald's uh, about a year ago, two years ago, whatever. It's, it's I, just ugly. I, I've it's seen the footage. I, I guess I, yeah, I saw the person jumping up on the counter. I never saw or heard about the the assault, but I, I feel, I'm, I feel terrible for the creators. I'm very <laughs> interested in how the if the creators are going to pivot the show and even any subtle ways to kind of address. But they're going to troll them. Are, they're going to troll the shitty fans. <laughs> Maybe. It is still one of the best written shows on yeah. television right now. I do love it. Uh, quick script update. If I were to do that, uh, I would have changed it to Fortnite. Mm. That's what it, it worked well for Endgame. If you want money, Hollywood, put Fortnite. I'm just kidding. I also Even I feel it. like they were a little bit late. Yeah. They could have changed it to Apex. <sighs> that Apex ain't cool anymore, though. Yeah, it isn't? It no. Seen, dude, I don't, we don't... We, it, it, it came See, and went. Yeah. Damn. See, they, I, I'm just I'm not as on the pulse of video they, games. I think I right be. now, I guess if you can just have a way of constantly updating the movie, uh, I guess right now it'd be Dauntless. Maybe that's the kind of the, the hotness oh, right now. Can you just email us. Yeah, yeah. Please. Uh, <laughs> I happen to work with a couple of twenty somethings in our office. Okay. Okay. One former intern and uh, another former IGN employee, and they both and their boots on the ground and they that just, culture stuff. They just let me know what I should be playing. Okay. Uh, right now it's uh, Outer Wilds, mm. which is yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. And he, okay. There's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, E3 is this next week, so we'll. He's seen all the cool new stuff anyway. Yeah. Let's do one more voicemail. Let's see. Since neither of you have seen 8th Grade, let's go with the question about Infinity War. This is from Enrique. Hey, uh, Crack, this is uh, Enrique calling. Um, I had a question about the Infinity War episode that you guys had a couple of weeks ago. I loved the movie, and I loved hearing you guys talk about it. Um, my first question is, if... It is uh, implied in the movie that there are more. There is more than one universe or one reality, but it, that in all of these realities, almost everything happened the same way. Uh, to the point that when they go back in time or whatever it is they're doing, the battle of 2012 is happening. They are there. Their counterparts in the reality are there. Uh, but they are obviously from a different branch. Um, so what does that say for free will and determinism? If everything is the same in all the realities, except for a couple of different uh, events to happen, you know, differently, uh, do any of the characters in this universe have any kind of free will? And for that matter, if we accept, or if for whatever reason we ever find out that multiverse theory is real in, like, real life, does that mean that we don't have any free will? Because if we did, none of the um, none of the universes or realities would be the same or even close to it. Okay, I'm going to cut him off there because it's a three minute voicemail. But <laughs> so let's talk about some heavy stuff. Let's talk about some heavy stuff. So if in all the universes things pretty much went the same, what does that say for free will? Well, I guess it's probably relatively bleak. I don't know. What do you think, Alec? I know you love this movie so much. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I don't. It's hard to, and I'm sure other people have broken this apart. I don't know if they're suggesting the future is, is already written. So they're implying that free will does exist. Um, it's more of that. They're going the past and like the past has happened. Right. So the past will continue to happen as you've made those choices. That's one way. The other way is I'm going to throw out a word that I uh, vaguely understand, which is I think uh, there is an idea between free will and determinism called compatibilism, which says that you can have, it's kind of like best of both worlds. Like you are essentially fated to make certain decisions, but also you have free will. Again, vaguely familiar, don't even understand it, but maybe that can help get you somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I would have to watch the movie again because I remember what, what is the thing that uh, the elder one or whatever that character she says you basically once mm -hmm. anything is changed it creates a branching reality and so you yeah 
I think they probably just wrote that in so they could have the Captain America ending. Uh, I think they wrote that in so they could have the Loki spinoff show. Yeah, uh, that, because that's what kill I was two birds with one stone. I guess. Uh, sorry. Uh, Endgame spoilers for the three people who haven't seen it. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a decent flick. I say check it out. I saw it twice. All once in Dolby Cinema is great. Um, that because that 2012 that exact place where they say, "Hey, don't screw it up." They screw it up mm-hmm. because. Loki got the Tesseract and he disappeared somewhere to go mm. make his Disney show. Um, so that 2012 is boned. Gotcha. So that's why they go even further back to the to, 70s. To the 70s, where the Tesseract and um, Pym would be at the same place, okay. which is the fort in which uh, Captain America trained at or whatever. And then, so it, 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 the the theory there, I believe, is that now they're they have created a multiverse that we can now make. Movies, Marvel movies forever. That's right. I oh, told man, him, one of my friends was like, man, how are they going to end Avengers? How are they going to end Star Wars? And I said, they're both going to end the same way. And it is find out more on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry, yeah. I'm just being too cynical. Anyway. No, you're not wrong. Uh, we're going to go into the mailbag. If you want to send us an email, you can hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co. This one is from David. He says, Dear Wisecrack, this is David from Dallas. I just finished listening to your podcast about eighth grade, and I found your discussion about social media particularly interesting, and I wanted to share my thought about it. I feel I have a very different experience with social media than most people. I'm 19, yet I have never once touched any form of social media. No Twitter, no Instagram, no Facebook. It's not that I stayed away from them out of fear. I just never really felt inclined to use them. To me, interaction with people over the internet feels awkward and impersonal. I have trouble keeping up with friends because of this, and it is only when having face-to-face conversations that I feel more able to connect and interact with them. Even though I do feel I should try and keep in touch with my friends more, I don't think social media is the way. I see the lack of it in my life as a huge positive, and I think not having it has saved me from a lot of stress and worry. I see many people my age stressing out about a lot of small things completely out of their control, and I can't help but wonder if social media has in some way contributed to making people more anxious about everything and not just pertaining to self-image and phone. From David. Well, David, that's actually quite impressive. Yeah. I think there's research um, to back up that social media makes you uh, depressed and miserable. Like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, like I have a friend who spent like five years in a doctorate program doing trials on mice. And at the end of the five year PhD program, he said, and my conclusion is exercise is in fact good for you. And I was like, <laughs> Wow. Okay, great. I'm glad that five years was spent productively. And that's how I feel about all these these studies about social media making you depressed. To me, it's just like, fucking duh. Yeah. I mean, but how did the mouse feel after they took Twitter away? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did he do? Who did, how many, <laughs> what did he do without his likes? No, I mean, that, that's that's the dopamine yeah. hit right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Adam, how, so let's talk, how do you deal with social media since you are you have this whole digital self that yeah. exists in the ether. I we so we at Funhouse, if you're unfamiliar with us, um, we basically play hyper version of our, versions of ourselves. It's very much me. It's the people I work with. We're just more awake, mm-hmm. and we're ultimately at the end of the day just trying to make each other laugh and do our own thing. And it's it's just us. That's kind of what it is. And so my online persona is just that. And I find myself to be pretty boring. So I treat. But, but like how? Do, but what about like? Do you always? Do you compulsively check YouTube stats, Twitter stats, oh, Instagram well, yeah. stats? Oh, from, yeah. From, like, a business perspective, yes. Um, my personal stuff, I kind of don't care. Yeah. Um, at one point, that was a option where they're like, you know, if you get your Twitter stats up, you can get some really good sales deals. And blah, blah. And it's like, I'm, at this point, so much more worried about my my company's business. Like, I mm-hmm. want Funhouse and Inside Gaming to succeed that, like... I'm way more focused on those things than my personal brand or whatever. Because I've said this before, like um, like the Avengers, I'm much better with a team. Mm. Um, I don't foresee myself being in this same kind of job going solo. So it's like, yeah, I guess I could be building a life preserver. I mean, like, well, if this all goes to shit, it's kind of, but it's like, I think I found the people that I want to work with for the yeah. rest of my life, um, which is rare to yeah. find like a good team. So it's that sort of thing where it's like, well, if I'm not working with them, I don't want to work. Sure. Or I'm going to go do something that is away from this world. Yeah. Um. So in that way, yeah, I try to get away from it just to try to be a bit more healthy about it. But 
Do you so, put your phone in another room or something, anything like that? I, um, I use a, a, a Google phone, and they made it really easy to just mute notifications. Okay. So, like, Twitter, Instagram, Snap, any of that, I'm just like, it's just off. Okay. Um, I, I tend to use Twitter more for, like, business stuff. So, like, um, I saw a friend of mine was thanked in a game that I played. I beat a Katana Zero. Great game. Highly recommend checking it out. And my friend um, Keenan was mentioned in the in the credits. And I was like, dude, what the hell? Like, why were you in this? And he's like, oh, well, the guy, I, I know the guy who made the game. Do you want to meet him at E3? He's like, oh, okay, cool. Awesome. Business connection, I guess, or just a fan connection at this point. Like, yeah. that's cool access that you can just, like, basically text a friend who's also, like, an internet person or whatever. But, sure. like, yeah, I don't know. It's like I'm... I, I I am more fearful of social media more than anything because of the the wide net that it casts. I'm more worried I'm going to offend somebody. I'm yeah. going to uh, incite somebody. I'm going to so it's like I kind of just have to make sarcastic jokes on there, and that's it. Like, that's have you kinda, that's have you a, ever gone back years to delete certain posts or anything? I'm, like that? I'm very I'm very lucky because when I started my Twitter account, I was already doing online work, so my name was already known. Okay. So unlike James Gunn, I was just always careful. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. I, yeah. I I'm like I'm constantly worried. I've I've lived with a surveillance surveillance camera on my back for most of my life, where that's the way I feel, and that probably uh, plays into my sleep deprivation. But hey, what are you gonna do? All right, we're gonna do two more emails. All right, this one's from Jeremy. This is about John Wick 3. Have you seen John Wick 3? I have, and I love it. Fuck yeah, me yeah. too. He says, firstly, why exactly does the adjudicator and the high table forgive Winston and let him remain in control of the Continental? He let John Wick go free at the end of the second movie, and all that has happened over the course of the third movie. Um, blah, 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 blah. You can't even argue that this is a response to Winston shooting John because he is forgiven prior to that happening. I was actually a little... So the adjudicator says, like, you were just showing strength. I don't really what, what exactly does that mean? So th- he's proven that he is a threat to the high table therefore he gets to keep his spot is that what is that what is happening? That's sort of the idea I got but he also okay. I mean he shot John Wick and you can make the right. argument whether he, I guess in the second movie yeah he gave him time and the argument is sort of like, well, he's a killer. What am I going to do? Like, yeah. yeah. So that's Jeremy's second question. He says, do you believe that Winston did not actually betray John and that it was all a setup? There's an argument to be made that Winston could have shot John in the head if he wanted to. Further, Winston knows the Continental better than anyone and could have orchestrated a fake murder by shooting John off the side of the building where John has a small but possible chance to live. I would argue this is all part of a greater plan for Winston, John, and the Bowery King to take down the high table in the next movie. I think it's a good possibility. That, I I got nothing but love between those two characters, and yeah. then it was him just. I thought I thought the whole thing was him just putting on a show. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe theory. Yeah. Did you see it, Alex? I did not, but it's on my list. I've seen oh. the second. He went one to go see fucking Detective Pikachu instead. I mean, I saw both, but <laughs> John Wick's just next level. I told him he should do a double feature, but he, he didn't do it. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, all right, last one. Do you like the movie They Live? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So this is from John. John says, I was listening to your episode on They Live and Jared's question on how would this, he says episode, I think he means movie, how would this movie be received today gave me some pause. While I'm sure people could come up with a variety of answers for the question, I think it's ultimately an unfair question simply because we live in a sociopolitical system that is substantially different from that in the 80s. The media is different, the economy is different, and politics are different. The movie would be received poorly because it would be out of its context. So, John, I I completely agree. I think it's an interesting question just to see where we were ideologically in the 80s and where we are now. I'm not saying that all movies ought to be judged through the lens of today. I think that some people may think that, but I think it's just kind of an interesting exercise. But uh, don't think definitively that um, we should take any concrete meaning out of like you know the merits of the film from something like that it wasn't exactly loved when it came out i don't i was i even alive what year yeah. was that i mean it, it's one of those cult classics where yeah. once people got past the surface level they went oh there's a deeper meaning to this movie and john carpenter's a lot smarter than we give him credit for yeah um but i mean the, the idea of that too is like over over consumption and um like advertising like yeah the ass like that sort of thing, and then you know the whole like secret society message sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is if you you can, various people have read it as John Nada being like a big hero of the left, and then but the interesting hmm. thing that we were bringing into the discussion is that if you 
look at some of the things that happen in the movie, like a bunch of guys carrying machine guns walking into a like a news corporation uh, as like perpetrators of this great lie, that probably wouldn't be seen as something a quote hero of the left would do. So we were just kind of exploring mm-hmm. like the the weird ways in which ideology has changed from then to yeah, now. Yeah, if it came out today, people would be like, oh, is this, is this Pizzagate? What's happening? And, and <laughs> like Jared, I'm not saying it's not a criticism of the movie. It's just an interesting thought experiment to, to think, uh, you know, of course you can never divorce any movie from the sort of context it came out in. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. We're going to go and wrap it up. We're going way over. Uh, first, I want to thank our guest, Adam Kovic, for stopping by the office. It's always a joy, sir. Oh, tell everybody about Funhouse if they haven't already heard of it. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's uh, F-U-N-H-A-U-S. Spell like a little kind of weird German spelling. We just do funny videos. We try to do some silly stuff. Um, if you're into movies, We'll do some silly uh, movie-themed gameplays. We did a whole Matrix thing. That was a lot of fun. We did, oh, a, yeah. we did a Star Wars Episode One thing. Got a little special guest uh, who had been in some movies and stuff. So it was cool to have him pop in. But uh, if you're a fan of those, check him out. Um, I always, I'm always watching your guys' stuff. So thank Aww. you. Uh, it's got. I was just telling you before. No, it's like you're. It's the best travel uh, content I, I can oh, have. Cool. I download hours of your guys' stuff and then I just watch it on a plane when there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, cool. I've been traveling a lot and I got through, I think most of your channel. So, Oh, that's insane. Your guys, uh, <laughs> I literally just sent a, your episode two link, um, about the, um, doctors of Algo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was so good. I had no idea that movie existed. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I actually, that was a uh, Leo, one of our writers. He came up with that, Man. that connection. Um, I watch your, actually there's uh, on our discord, uh, for our patrons, there are a lot of people who are diehard Inside Gaming fans. They're, oh, cool. they're always posting Inside Gaming videos and Funhouse videos. So cool. there's like overlap between our audience that I maybe wouldn't immediately expect, but it's really cool to see. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm been singing your guys' praises for a while. Where it's like, I think I was first introduced because there was like a friendly email that went back and forth. I was like, oh, I'll check these guys out. I'm like, these are really good. Like, I, I would argue you guys have probably the best videos when you're deconstructing uh, things like film and putting a philosophical meaning to it. It's like, you're, it's one of the few channels where I feel smarter after oh, thanks, watching man. it. It is, it is like going to film school and being like, here is the deeper meaning to your content. So our stuff is nothing like that. We're all just we're no, just but, dark jokes yeah, back but, and forth. But Yeah, but man, I watch your content and I'm like, shit, man, these guys got it right. I'm fucking <laughs> I'm fucking busting my ass to create this we're, video that gets the same amount of views. I'm like, shit, uh, man, Adam just He's living the life, man. I, I, no joke, though. Our guys are busting their asses. Oh, no. I, um, I know they are. Yeah, you yeah. guys upload like three times a day. There's a lot of lot of editing and care that goes into that stuff to get, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a lot that goes into a 10-minute video, but um, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of love there. Um, oh, yeah. We, we love what we do, but then also, yeah. yeah you guys are the best. Guys. Please subscribe no. to Funhouse. Check out their shit. It'll make, uh, it'll make you guys laugh for sure. Anyway, Alec, uh, where can we find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter, at WisecrackAlec, and I have one final shout-out. Sorry for all the interruptions, but it's Marco Gonzalez, who <laughs> said, both of your respected content helped me get through university. Thank you. So thank you, Marcos. Oh, Hell yeah. I always say this. You got yourself through university. We just, we're just that's background a, noise. That's such so. a better answer than what I have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> still, what's yeah. yours? <laughs> Whereas uh, uh, Alec was just like, yeah, let me pat myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know what I did? I am. A, I don't use the word hero often, but uh, <laughs> mm, no, hero. Hurt my arm. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Uh, don't know what we're doing next week yet, but uh, I'll definitely announce it on the Discord. But anyway, uh, see you guys later. And signing off. Peace. <laughs>